Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Seems Like Die Culture podcast, or welcome if you are new here. My name is Mallory Page. I am a registered dietitian, and I am also the host of this podcast, which I created because I wanted a space to be able to discuss all the things that you're seeing online in your day-to-day around nutrition, wellness, fitness, current events, and more from a non-diet perspective because most of what you encounter is from the perspective of diet culture, which diet culture is this pervasive belief that the size of our body is more important than anything else, our mental health, our physical health, our happiness, And around here, that's just not my belief. Now, whenever I share, though, all I hope to do is just give some new information that you may not have encountered so that ultimately you can make a decision around how you want to view something and how you want to potentially implement it or not implement it into your life. It's a no-judgment zone. Oh my gosh. Do you hear that little sound in the background, that bell sound? It's my cat. And then if you hear a little scratching sound, it's my dog because they'll be sleeping all day unbothered until I have to do something that requires me to be recording, speaking to someone, whatever it may be. I won't go on and on because I realized as I was looking through my Apple reviews that I talk way too much about my animals because so many people were mentioning it. Oh, I am I am obsessed with animals. That is true. That is neither here nor there. What is here and there is the t- episode topic this week because let me tell you, it is a quintessential seems like diet culture episode. Do you know what that just reminded me of? It reminded me of that TikTok couple online. <laughs> the Pookie couple. If you're not on TikTok, You're probably going to think this is wild. Actually, I think they may be on Instagram. Anyways, the husband of this woman will say, this is a quintessential Pookie outfit. (laughs) Why do I feel like that's what I just did with the episode? This is a quintessential, seems like diet culture episode, SLDC. Okay, that's enough for me. We got to get into this episode and talk about colostrum. That's what we're talking about, the supplement of the day, of the week, of the last few months. So we're going to break it all down here. What the heck is colostrum? How is it made? How is it produced? What are the benefits? Are those benefits actually going to affect you positively? Are there cons to taking it? And then some discussion points that you can think about in terms of making the decision on if you want to implement this into your life or not. But before we get into all of that, I have an extremely exciting announcement that I have been waiting to share for so freaking long. As of today, we have officially relaunched and rebranded the website. Now, I know you may be thinking, Mallory, it's just a website. Is it really that big of a deal? But guys, it signifies so much more. I've been wanting to do this rebrand and relaunch for so long because the website hasn't felt aligned to the whole mission and vision behind Live Unrestricted. And I also wanted to change the website 
from Mallory J. Page to live unrestricted because that's really the all-encompassing term for this brand and, and what I do. And along with that, we did huge upgrades to all of our offerings and programs. So Live Unrestricted is updated and it has such a different setup that's even better based off all the feedback that we've gotten from the amazing women that have gone through it. LUP, my program for practitioners, is the same way. And we have some exciting new offerings that will be coming soon. So I just really couldn't be happier to finally be bringing this to you guys. And if you want to check it out, there will be a link in the show notes for you to look at. And I would love to hear any of your thoughts if you do decide to do so. And I'll be releasing a bonus episode here soon that actually dives deeper into why this happened and what it signifies for me and for the brand and all of that stuff. But without further ado, let's hop into this colostrum episode. I don't know why all of a sudden my voice is getting so weak. I sound like I'm trying really hard to do some type of like vocal fry. So we're going to take a quick moment. All right, I just cleared my throat very intensely off off the mic and got a sip of coffee. So we are ready to go and supercharged and starting off with explaining what the heck is colostrum. Funny enough, I learned about colostrum in my education. Oh, there he is. There's his little meow. Come here. Come here, little guy. So I learned about colostrum in my education because we learn about nutrition throughout the life cycle and dietetics. Come here then. You can come on the podcast. Yeah. And it was fascinating even back then when I found out what this is and how it works. So to explain a little bit about it to you guys, colostrum is the first form of milk that is produced by mammals, including humans and other animals. And it is done immediately after giving birth. It's nutrient-rich. It serves as the first nourishment for newborns before regular milk production begins and is what is fed to that newborn. And it contains high concentrations of antibodies, proteins, vitamins, minerals. And it can be very important for a newborn's growth and development, especially in their immune system. Now, if you're wondering how the heck this is made. This is where it gets really cool. So colostrum is produced by the mammary glands of the female mammal during the late pregnancy. And then immediately after giving birth, it's expelled. And this process actually begins when hormonal changes are triggered by the onset of labor. So hormones like prolactin and oxytocin stimulate the mammary glands to produce that colostrum. And then the body is just smart enough that it knows when birth is induced or when well, when labor is induced and then birth subsequently follows, that colostrum is released. Can we just talk about how cool that is that our body has this built in and it just knows to do this? I can never get over that. Now, the composition and volume of colostrum varies depending on the species and individual health factors, and it obviously varies some from person to person or animal to animal, but this is the general process that occurs to produce colostrum naturally. Now, in terms of who produces colostrum, 
as I mentioned earlier, mammalian species, mammalian species, I feel like I didn't pronounce that very strong. So humans, but also cows, goats, sheep, other animals of similar categories. And each of these species does create a unique type of colostrum that is specifically tailored to the needs of their offspring. Now, that's important to keep in mind as we talk about the supplementation of it later on, because do remember that most, or I don't know why I said do remember, because you may not know. So something to keep in mind as well is that most supplements use colostrum from cows for the generation of their colostrum. Now, if you have listened to this podcast before, and most specifically, if you've listened to a really heavy information research-based podcast, you'll know that sometimes a topic like this requires a deep dive. So you could reference my GMO episode, my seed oils episode, the gluten episode, the gut health episode for some examples of content like that. But in this episode, we don't actually need to dive into the research around colostrum. And let me explain why, because I swear I'm not just being lazy. Colostrum is very well researched. I believe there are around 5,000 research studies that have looked at colostrum, both in humans and animals and in multiple different forms. And pretty much universally, it is known that colostrum, when being used as directed for the offspring, is beneficial. It boosts the immune system with antibodies and immune factors. It provides essential nutrients for growth and development. It helps support digestive health by promoting the growth of beneficial bacteria in the gut and so many other things that are hard to even measure. Now, that's not saying that if someone doesn't have colostrum when they are first born, that that is dooming them. I think this is just important to mention because of the fact that there are many mothers that cannot produce breast milk and that don't have the option to potentially give their baby that colostrum. Now, sometimes people will get colostrum from other mothers, actually, that have excess, and then they're able to supplement that for their baby. But I just want to make sure it's known that I'm not trying to say that colostrum is the holy grail and if you don't have it and if an offspring doesn't have it, everything is horrible. But I am saying that the research does show us that it is very beneficial. And so why I say that we don't then need to dive into this is because it's it's kind of something that doesn't add much to the conversation. Because in this podcast, I'm not trying to convince you whether or not you should be providing a newborn child or a newborn animal with colostrum. We're talking about the supplementation of colostrum because that is how it's widely being used. And specifically supplementation for people or for, yeah, I guess people are the ones that are supplementing that are not specifically targeted for this colostrum, right? A 40-year-old adult or a 26-year-old adult is not who is specifically designated to receive colostrum. So, Because of all this, we need to discuss how colostrum supplements are made. So let's first pinpoint that every single supplement brand is going to be a little different. 
Most supplements have kind of this proprietary or trademarked or specific type of process that they use. And they usually will argue too that it's the best process out there and that it makes it the most bioavailable and most usable and all of that stuff. But in reality, they all do have a similar structure to them, which is as such. So the colostrum is collected from mammals, particularly cows, within the first 24 to 48 hours after giving birth. Then that collected colostrum undergoes a series of filtration, probably pasteurization, and concentration processes to remove impurities and also preserve its bioactive compounds. And then it's likely dried into a powder form and encapsulated or just kept that way. And then there usually are some quality control measures to ensure that the purity and the potency are still there in the final product. Now, some of the most popular brands that are slinging colostrum right now. (laughs) Why did I use the word slinging? That is vile. For example, Armra. I believe that's how you pronounce it. They have these specific processes that they are trademarking and that they argue are the most successful. And there is actually even, I believe, research being conducted on this process by that brand, which this is pretty common for brands that are trying to prove their supplement is the superior supplement. They'll get a research process done to try to showcase that. And so there are some differences to the ways that they do it, but I do think it's important to not allow those types of explanations to sway you too much because at its core, most of these processes, as I mentioned, are the same. And I think a lot of the jargon around the absolute best way to do it is more of a marketing technique than it is actually something that is different. Now, that's not to say that's completely true, but... I just wanted to bring that up because it is something that you will see if you're in the market for colostrum. So supplementation of colostrum isn't something that just popped up this year. It's actually been since around the 1990s when I was researching this that people have been toying around with this idea of supplementation of colostrum. And There is colostrum that can be supplemented. Well, I should say there are people that supplement the true colostrum that is fresh. But as you can imagine, kind of hard to get your hands on and also could arguably, depending on the source, be a little risky because if it's not pasteurized then you don't know exactly if that is safe to consume, if let's say it's coming from a cow. And also... Fresh colostrum, because of all the benefits, is very expensive. It is, some people refer to it as liquid gold. And so you can imagine that liquid gold as a supplement is not going to be cheap. But I personally have seen the heavy rise in colostrum starting probably around the mid middle to end of 2023. And the brand that I've seen pushed and talked about the most is this Armra brand. And so I will reference this brand some, but just know that all of the different brands of colostrum are going to fall under these same discussion points that I am going to present to you here in a moment. 
And when I ever present some thoughts and kind of things to think about when it comes to purchasing something, know that they are just that. They are some things to think about. This is not me telling you whether you should or should not buy colostrum. It's me just bringing some pieces to the conversation that you may not be hearing, especially because any of these product pages that are trying to sell you colostrum are going to specifically talk to the benefits of it. And a lot of these wellness influencers that are talking about colostrum are not paying for it and are very immune to the cost that colostrum can present. So let's dive right into some discussion points around colostrum. Things to keep in mind. Number one, even though all the research points to colostrum being beneficial, most of this research is done for the intended receiver of the colostrum, and it is done on fresh colostrum. What I mean by this is looking at colostrum and its effect on an offspring, whether it be animal or human, and seeing that that has a beneficial effect is not the same as saying that a supplement is going to have that effect on someone that is not a new offspring. And similarly, it's not even the same as saying that fresh colostrum could have that effect on someone that is not a new offspring. Now, there is some research that specifically looks at supplementation of colostrum, and it has seen similar benefits in certain cases, like immune support, gut health benefits, better hair, skin, and nails. But it is important to keep in mind that some of those things are a little bit harder to measure when you're looking at someone that's older And you have to take into account things like the placebo effect, and you have to take into account that there are always going to be some other compounding factors that could contribute to these changes. So in saying this, I'm not saying that this means that colostrum is not beneficial to anybody other than an offspring in a fresh form of colostrum, but I am saying that just because there's 5,000 research articles saying colostrum is beneficial doesn't mean that that spreads to every single person that uses colostrum, even that it's not intended for. Now, the second thing to keep in mind that ties to this is that when you extract something from its true form, it is not going to come out the exact same. When you look at the specific creation of supplemental colostrum, we have to look at how many more processes that colostrum is going through to then be consumed. It's not just taking that fresh colostrum and then having it, it's going through all of these different steps and then ultimately being done in powder form and then even shipped, right? And then consumed in a format that isn't necessarily your normal format. And so, again, that does not mean that it is not valuable, but we need to not act as if the colostrum that we're consuming or that this offspring is consuming is the exact same as the colostrum that you are supplementing with. There are also certain compounds that are often removed within this process. And many times in wellness culture, we see these different compounds such as casein or just uh, like dairy compounds, right? We see them as unimportant or disposable. 
And yet we so often forget the value of the true form that nature creates of a compound. Like there are reasons why colostrum has a specific makeup it does. And sometimes removing these things because we believe they're less effective or unneeded actually in turn makes that compound not as effective. Now, the third thing that I would keep in mind is less of a personal thing and more of a big picture thing that I've been thinking a lot about, which is what is the sustainability of this? So I don't know what the specific process for getting colostrum looks like for all different brands. But as I read, it usually is within that 24 to 48 hour period after getting birth that they're then getting colostrum from the female cow or whatever animal that they are using. And in this Armra company, they specifically make note of the fact that they ensure that the calf gets all the colostrum that it needs before they were would take any from the mother. But I'm a little worried about how they're going to regulate and measure this and how sustainable this is going to be if colostrum becomes something that is really, really popular. Because I guess I'm just not seeing how they 100% know that the calf has gotten enough colostrum. And also, there can be benefits to that calf continuing to get colostrum, even if it has had the amount that it needs. And for some of these other companies that I know a little bit less about their extraction process, there could be a chance that they are just taking the colostrum and the calf is now not getting the colostrum. And I'm just even concerned about the fact that these mother cows, right after giving birth, are then having to have someone go in and collect this colostrum instead of just being able to be with their calf. And also, how much are we going to have to impregnate cows or other animals in order to generate this colostrum. It's just, it's kind of a strange thing when you really think about it. And I'm not saying that what these companies are doing is unethical because I feel like there's not enough exposure to the exact processes, but it's something that does make me feel just a little bit uncomfy, especially because it's not as if it can be consented upon. You know, if a mom gives birth and she decides she wants to donate extra colostrum, that's completely up to her and she's agreeing to it. But that's just one piece that I'm thinking of. And I feel like this ties to another point, which is what is the long-term look like? What does the long-term look like with utilizing colostrum? Because if we have more and more people that get on colostrum and utilize colostrum and also even potentially feel somewhat dependent on it, I just wonder how we're going to be able to maintain the need for this colostrum over so much time. And also if there is well-researched benefits that come from consistent supplementation because again 
the majority of research studies are done on offsprings in taking this within the next couple of hours and days after birth. They're not done on this super long-term scale. And so sometimes it feels like this situation of too much of a good thing in wellness culture because the thing is, which this is kind of leaning into another point, colostrum is not likely going to hurt you. I mean, unless you have a dairy allergy or something along those lines, it's probably not going to be bad for you. I wouldn't be concerned about it being something that would compromise your health. But at the same time, I just wonder how long it's really necessary and how much of this is an initial benefit and then kind of leans into more of this placebo effect. Now, this is more just me discussing. I haven't found research that specifically compares the long-term utilization of colostrum in a supplemental form to shorter-term utilization. I would be fascinated to see any research on that. But I just wonder why we even feel as if we have to have something like this when it's not necessarily the natural process of our body to utilize it in this way. And the last and most important thing that to me is the real kicker of all of this is the price of colostrum. So the price obviously varies, but for this very famous brand Armra, it is $100 for a bottle of it or for a supplement container. And there's 30 servings in these, which yes, I understand the Athletic Greens marketing. I'm just kidding. I say that because Athletic Greens is similar and they always market it as just $3 a day. Wouldn't you spend this on X, Y, and Z? And I get that. And I just want to make sure I emphasize that if you have weighed all of the different pieces of the colostrum conversation and decided that it's something that you want to buy that is completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But to me, when I think about all that could be bought with $100 to support your wellness, I don't really know if I see and believe in the benefit of colostrum over other things that you could spend that $100 on. Just because, again, we don't know exactly what it's doing in your body at the age that you're at in the supplement form that it's in and over the amount of time that you're taking it. And so I guess to me, when I think about the fact that you could have a massage or buy a lot of fruits and vegetables or buy a wellness journal, or I honestly don't know why I'm using these random examples. I think I'm just trying to drive home the fact that there are so many things that you could purchase with that $100 a month. Do you hear the dog barking? I don't think it's my dog, at least. Yeah, that's just, to me, I don't know if that would be my personal choice, but if you weigh all that and decide that it's your personal choice, that's completely fine. Yet, I would keep in mind, if you're being influenced 
by influencers to purchase this product, I do just want to pinpoint or bring up that most influencers are being sent this product for free. And so the experience that someone has when they are taking a product for free is very different than if they have to pay for it. I have actually had the opportunity to receive products for free before and it never feels the same because it just feels like you're using it and you're not thinking the whole time, was this really worth the investment? You're just thinking, oh, you know, how is this? Like, does it feel good? And also, again, a lot of the times when brands are sending this stuff, they're wanting people to promote it and they may get commission for promoting it. There's all the animal noises in this podcast episode today. Or they may, you know, want to work with that brand. And I am not trying to say that when influencers share a product, they don't like it. I'm someone that works with brands and will share products. Personally, I would never do that if I didn't enjoy the product itself. But I think what I'm trying to get at is when you're taking advice from someone that may not be paying for a product or that has really high amounts of disposable income to be able to afford this stuff, it's not really the same. Like a lot of these podcasts that are wellness podcasts, your Dave Asprey's and even now kind of your Skinny Confidentials and uh, I'm trying to think some other people, Mark Hyman's. We have to remember, guys, they're, they're making so much money this to them is like a little tiny drop of of income. Like it is not not substantial for them. So a hundred dollar supplement for us versus a hundred dollar supplement for them is they're not the same thing. And so they speak a lot more frivolously frivolously about this stuff because that's not as important to them to spend that much money. Versus for you, it may be. And for you, it may not be too. And that's totally okay. Or you may decide that it is really important to you and you want to buy it, even though it is a bigger investment. And all of those things are okay. I just want to make sure that you're keeping in mind that piece of the puzzle when you are imagining how you want to interact with colostrum. Now, With all of this being said, you may wonder how this ties to diet culture and the wellness industry. And when I said that this was a quintessential episode, this piece of it is part of the reason why. Whenever we enter into a new year or even a new time of year, we get a new supplement. So I would say athletic greens and even greens powders in general were one of those big supplements of last year. I also feel like sea moss was a big one, chlorophyll, right? And as I'm saying those, you may even think back and remember, oh my gosh, I remember when that was so big and I remember when I really wanted to have that or, oh my gosh, I remember that like it was yesterday and I still use that product. Whatever it may be, there is intentionality behind this because if the same supplements were always popular it would not drive income in the same way as having a new supplement reach popularity. The entire goal of the wellness industry and of diet culture is to get people to spend money. It is a very, very, very profitable business, especially in recent years. 
And so the more that they can generate a new trending product that makes people spend money, that tells them it will solve all their problems, the more they benefit. And so a product like this that's super expensive, that has to be taken every day, that's very niche, it is 100% targeting that exact purpose. And if you listen to my 2024 wellness predictions, I also talked a little bit about a prediction that I have for this year that we've already started to see of people in general, marketing in general, but especially wellness marketing, starting to diverge from more general marketing efforts and niche into very wealth-specific and income-specific marketing. And why I think this is important to keep in mind is you can see how a lot of these more recent wellness products just keep getting more expensive in price, keep getting more kind of niche or hard to obtain by the normal person. And they also specifically target people with higher income levels. And that is specifically being done because of the fact that there's such a disparity right now between people that are making a more normal amount of income and then people that are making a really high amount of income. And the wellness industry wanting to make people feel as if they have to spend more money to become more well. When we actually know that wellness at its core is in fact about things that are accessible to everybody, sunlight, fresh air, vegetables and fruits. I mean, those aren't actually accessible to everybody right now and neither are fresh air and clean water and all that stuff, which is what's so sad. But in theory, we would hope that everybody would be able to access these things that actually lead to wellness, just even writing. And yet the way that the industry is trending is making people believe that it is less and less and less about what is accessible and more and more and more about what you can buy. So that's just some food for thought I didn't even think I was going to go into, but it leads us perfectly into our diet culture ranking. So I haven't been able to do this the last few episodes, but typically I will rank each topic on a scale of one to 10, zero, well, I guess zero to 10, zero being no diet culture at all, 10 being the most diet culture possible. Personally, I would give colostrum as a supplement, specifically in the recent forms that we've seen emerge at very high prices, a 7.7. I don't know why I want to give such specific ratings, but that's what I would say. And that's just because of most of the points that I brought up and the way that it's positioning itself, that makes me feel like it is really leaning into very diet culture based marketing in order to sell itself. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would love to hear your thoughts. Slide into my DMs. It's always linked below. Give us a rating or review on Spotify or on Apple. It means the world to me if you do, but even if you just listened, that also means so much. And if you ever have an episode topic that you want to see, if there's ever something that you want me to chat about, I would love to hear about it. I cannot wait to see you guys on the next episode and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day whenever you're listening.